let's all stand tonight. Victory in Jesus. We'll be singing that in just a second. But get out right now. Shake hands with everyone around as the choir comes down. Tell them how much you appreciate what they're doing and encourage them a little bit. Victory in Jesus. Still page 526, Victory in Jesus, 526.
This song is called, y'all have heard it before, so it ain't nothing new. We ain't learned a new song in years. So, <laughs> uh, Rick said uh, about 10 minutes ago, y'all can sing tonight, can't you? So, that means y'all are going to sing tonight, ain't you? <laughs> so, it's called He Delivered Me. He delivered me when I was in doubt. He delivered me. Jesus brought me out. He knew my soul. He had to be set free. So my Lord, my Lord, he delivered me. Well, David and Goliath standing toe to toe. David told the giant, you'll be mine. I know you've got a shield and you've got a sword. But I've got all that I need Because I've got the Lord He delivered me When I was in doubt He delivered me Jesus brought me out He knew my soul It had to be set free So my Lord, my Lord He delivered me Well, Paul and Silas Were stripped and beat Thrown into jail They put chains on their feet You know the Lord shook the earth and then with a shout, well, the chains broke free. God delivered them out. He delivered me. When I was in doubt, he delivered me. Jesus brought me out. He knew my soul. It had to be set free. So my Lord, my Lord, he delivered me. Well, Jesus was hanging high up on the cross, dying so the world would not be lost. They sealed up the tomb. And in three days, Jesus rose up again, so your soul would be saved. He delivered me when I was in doubt. He delivered me. Jesus brought me out. He knew my soul. It had to be set free. So my Lord, my Lord, he delivered me. He delivered me when I was in doubt. He delivered me. Jesus brought me out. He knew my soul, it had to be set free, so my Lord, my Lord, he delivered me. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 1, and they're singing about the Lord delivering us, it fits right into what the book of Joshua is all about, uh, experiencing victory in our life. How many of you are interested? I really mean this, really interested in victory. I mean living a victorious Christian life. Well, the book of Joshua is just uh, the medicine you need. Let's stand as we honor the reading of his word tonight. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 of the book of Joshua. And, of course, as I said this morning, we are beginning a journey through Joshua. We just completed 1 Corinthians back about three weeks ago, and so we began the book of Joshua tonight. I've looked forward to the book of Joshua. I really have been wanting to get into it now for the past several months because I love the book of Joshua. It's a great book, and I would encourage you to begin reading Joshua as your daily devotions. I would take one chapter a day and just read through it. And then when you get to the book, turn around and go back through it again. And there are many different ways to read your Bible. I, I heard of someone, I believe I was listening, John MacArthur on the radio one day. And he said the way he read his Bible when he went through a book is he would read a chapter every day. If it was for one week, he would take chapter one. And he'd read chapter one on Monday, read chapter one on Tuesday, chapter one on Wednesday, and so on. Week two, he'd read chapter two, chapter two, and then week three, and so on like that. You get very familiar with the Scripture by doing it that way, but just read it. It'd be a great, great uh, experience for you. Look at verse one. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, under the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness 
and this Lebanon even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. Thank you. you. may be seated tonight. I want us to look at these first four verses. And I want us to use them and look at them and lay a foundation to the book of Joshua and to what we will look at in the days to come. And I want us to think about this thought, living in Canaan now. Living in Canaan now. Let's pray, and then we'll begin our journey tonight. Father, we thank you for delivering us. What a blessing it is to know that you've delivered us from the penalty of sin. But Lord, we're not only grateful that you have delivered us from the penalty of sin, but we are grateful tonight that you can deliver us from the very power of sin. And one day you'll deliver us from the presence of sin. But Lord, tonight we're interested in learning how to be delivered from the power of sin. Lord, we're interested in learning how to be victorious and learning how to be a conqueror in life. So, Father, as we begin a brand new journey in our life here as this church, as we journey through Joshua, I pray the Holy Spirit might anoint these Sunday nights and they'll become living truths in our life that it'll be more than just a time that we preach and more than just a time uh, that we're occupied with just listening to a few sermons. But, God, may we meet you through the book of Joshua and may the truth of Joshua get into our hearts and may it get into our lives and Lord, I believe if there's one book in the Bible that could transform us, it is this book. So help us tonight. Help us to see what it's all about. So Holy Spirit, we look to you and trust you now for this adventure. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray and ask these things. Amen. When I read the book of Joshua, I think about an old song that we used to sing quite often in my home church in North Carolina. I haven't heard the song sung in many years, but I'm sure many of you remember it. It simply goes, Egypt was once my home, I was a slave. Helpless in sin did roam, love light did crave. But when I looked up to heaven's dome, Christ came to save. I am living in Canaan now. How many of you remember that old stamps back to the song? Or many of you do. Well, I would submit unto you that song, of all songs that I th can think of, really conveys the message of the book of Joshua. You think about the book of Joshua, you think about a book that talks about Canaan. But what happens many times when we think about Canaan, we often think about Canaan in terms of heaven. And I think we do so because of the many hymns that have been written that describe Jordan, crossing Jordan as death, a believer dying, and Canaan as being heaven. I think about the hymn, and I love the hymn, I am bound for the promised land. It talks about on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye. And the picture that is portrayed in that hymn is that Jordan is a type of dying and Canaan is a type of heaven. And I would say to us tonight uh, that I don't think that any great truth of the Bible is violated by using Canaan in that image, but I would say to you tonight that when the Bible talks about Canaan or Canaan, as you look in the book of Joshua, it is not a symbol or symbolic of heaven. You'll find that the message of the book of Joshua is that Canaan is something to be experienced now, and Canaan is something that we can enjoy now in our life, and not just something that we enjoy in the future. I say that Canaan is not a type of heaven because you find fighting in the book of Joshua, and there is no fighting in heaven. You'll find uh, battles that are being fought and sins that are being committed. And you don't find battles in heaven or sins that are being committed. But what you find in the book of Joshua and the message of Joshua is this, that believers can dwell in Canaan and believers ought to dwell in Canaan. I would say that the message of the book of Joshua is simply that believers ought to be living in Canaan now. Now, what do I mean by living in Canaan? What is Canaan a symbol of? And simply put, Canaan is symbolic and representative of the victorious Christian life. It is representative of living in a place of fullness. It is representative of a life that of, of fullness, a life that has been blessed of God. I think about a certain preacher that was preaching in a Bible conference on the theme of victorious Christian living. And one of the local radio stations invited him to the radio station. They wanted to interview him, and so he accepted the offer. And during the interview, the announcer looked at him. He said, he said, now, doctor, you call what you preach 
the victorious Christian life. Is that correct? And the preacher looked at him and said, no, that's not what I call it. And the radio announcer there or the interviewer said, uh, I'm sorry, you call what you preach the deeper life. Is that correct? And the preacher looked at him and said, no, that's not what I call it. Well, the announcer or the interviewer hesitated for just a moment, and he said, well, doctor, what do you call what you preach? And he said, I call it the Christian life. When I think about the matter of Joshua and the message of Joshua, simply put, it's a description of the Christian life and what God wanted the Christian life to be. If you really want to understand what it means to be a Christian and what God wants your Christian life to be, then the book of Joshua is the book to read and study. And if you are interested in learning how to be victorious in the battles of life and learning how to be victorious over sin and learning how to be a conqueror in life, then the book of Joshua is just for you. It is a book that teaches us how to live victoriously. So I want you to understand in the next few weeks as we make our way through Joshua, our objective is to learn how to be victorious. And our objective in studying the book of Joshua is to learn how to live in Canaan and to learn how to live a victorious Christian life. Are you interested? Let's start at beginning in verse 1. And I want us to think tonight verses 1 through 4 and just kind of lay a foundation to everything we will look at in the days to come. I point out three things from verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. And the first thing that I point out to you is this. I see in the first four verses and as well in the book of Joshua a promise to accept. A promise to accept. You know, one of the key phrases of the book of Joshua is the two little words, the land. As you read the book of Joshua and you begin reading it, you'll find that over and over and over it talks about the land. In fact, notice just in chapter 1 and 2 the emphasis that is placed upon the land. Just in the first two chapters, notice the great emphasis upon the land. You notice in verse 2, he talks about thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them. You notice in verse 4, about the middle of the verse, it talks about all the land. In verse 6, he said, be strong and of good courage, for under this people shalt thou divide for inheritance the land. You notice in chapter 2 and verse 11, it talks about going in the latter part to possess the land. You notice down in verse 15, it talks about they also have possessed the land. Chapter 2 and verse 1, the instruction was given, go view the land, even Jericho. Chapter 2 and verse 9, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Chapter 2 and verse 14, and it shall be in the middle part, when the Lord hath given us the land, that he'll deal kindly and truly with thee. Verse 18, behold, when we come into the land. And then in verse 24, truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land. Now, just in chapter 1, chapter 2, you have great emphasis upon the land. That is the key phrase running through the book of Joshua. Now, the land that is being spoken of is the land of Canaan. Now, the land of Canaan, as I said, is symbolic of the Christian life. It is symbolic of the life that God wants us to live. It is symbolic of the Christian life as God views the Christian life. You see, the land described in the Old Testament is symbolic of the life declared in the New Testament. A physical land speaks to a spiritual life. And just as the children of Israel, their life in the land is representative of our life in the Lord. Now let me point out two things about this promise that God gave them and this promise to accept. The first thing is this. I see in this promise a goal of the Christian life or the goal of the Christian life. Notice verse 2 again. The Bible said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan. Now, the moment had come in the children of Israel's history for them to cross into the land of Canaan. But you'll find as you read the Bible that this had been God's goal for Israel. They are now getting ready to enter the land, but for hundreds of years, that had been God's goal for Israel. In fact, it was a goal that was made known to them or first revealed to Moses. Mark your place in Joshua 1. Turn back to the book of Exodus chapter 3. 
In the book of Exodus chapter 3, and you have the story of the burning bush. But notice the word that was given or the promise that was given to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Notice beginning in verse 7. And verse Exodus 3, verse 7, the Bible said, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, here was the promise that God gave to Moses. He said to Moses, I am going to bring them out of Egypt. I am going to bring them into another land. God was saying to Moses, I'm going to bring them out of one land. I am going to put them into another land. He was telling Moses, now, this is my goal. My goal is to bring you out of one land. My goal is to take you into another land. Look at one more verse. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you have the whole, this whole matter of a goal summed up wonderfully in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And notice verse 23. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 23. Look at this great verse. Deuteronomy 6, 23, the Bible said, And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. Deuteronomy 6.23 plainly states that God's goal was to bring them out in order to bring them in. Now get the picture. God had delivered them from Egypt, and the goal of God was not only to deliver them from Egypt, but to bring them into Canaan. You might say that brought out experience relates to our salvation. Just like the children of Israel were in bondage down in Egypt, there was a day we were in bondage. We were in bondage to sin and Satan. But thanks be to God, He brought us out. He delivered us. We have been saved. But that brought in experience would relate to our sanctification. For I want you to listen to me tonight, and I want you to get this. God's purpose in salvation and God's goal for your life is more than just taking you to heaven someday. Are you listening to me? When God saved you, his goal was to do far more than to give you a passport to heaven. And God's goal was to do far more than just one day letting you have a heavenly home. Now, I want you to understand something. God brought you out of Egypt that he might bring you into Canaan. Do you know what the goal of God is for your life? Not only to take you to heaven someday, but let you live in a little heaven along the way. God's goal in your life is to bring you out and to bring you in. I guess you could describe the Christian life or the children of Israel has been in three stages. They were down in Egypt, they were in the wilderness, and then God brought them into Canaan. And many believers have been brought, many, all believers have been brought out. But many are living in the wilderness. But I want you to understand something. This is God's goal for you tonight. We have been saved for far more than just going to heaven. God wants us to learn how to live in blessing in this life. God wants us to live in heaven on the way to heaven. He wants us to live in victory. He brings us out that he might bring us in. That's the goal of God for our Christian life. But there's something else about this promise. It was not only the goal of the Christian life, but it is also the gift of the Christian life. Look at verse 2 again. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, now notice this, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Look down in verse 6. He talks about be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. You see, the land of Canaan was not only God's goal for the children of Israel, but it was God's gift to the children of Israel. They didn't do anything to earn the land. God simply one day told Moses, I'm going to deliver them, and I am going to bring them into a land that I am going to give them. It was a gift. It was a gift from God, a, a gift that God promised them from as far back as Abraham's time. 
You read back how he made the promise to Abraham that he would give them a certain land. It was a gift of God, a promise of God, and all they had to do was accept it. A promise that he made to them, a promise that he gave to them, and all they had to do was to take them, or to take it. Listen to me tonight. God's promise to the children of Israel involved a place. But I want you to understand something tonight. God has made a promise to me, and God has made a promise to you, and it involves a person. God promised to give the children of Israel land and given them the right to enjoy and to experience everything that land had to offer. But God tells us that he has given us a life in Christ and we have the right and the privilege to enjoy everything the Lord has to offer. They had a Canaan, we got a Christ. They had a place, we got a person. Ephesians 1, 3 tells us that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. You know what God has done? God has given us these blessings in Christ. Are you listening to me? God has given us all these wonderful blessings in Christ Jesus. And his goal is this. He wants to bring us into those blessings. God's goal in our Christian life when he saved us was, yes, to take us to heaven one day, but God wanted to bring us into a life of blessing. And God wanted to bring us into a life of fullness. Here's all these spiritual blessings that he's made ours in Christ. He has given us these blessings, and his goal is that we might enjoy these things. You know what is so tragic in the average church today? Many believers have never realized God's goal for their life. They're just shouting about going to heaven, and we ought to shout about it going to heaven. And they think the Christian life is, I got saved, now I'll go to church and one day I'll go to heaven. But I want you to understand something, it's a whole lot more than that. God brought you out that he might bring you in. And there is so much that he has given us. It's ours in Christ. All spiritual blessings. And many believers have never realized what God's goal is and they've never realized what God has given to them. I remember reading a story one time about a Lawrence of Arabia and how he took a number of Arabian chieftains of the Paris to Paris of the Paris peace talks. And they were in a motel there and they were astounded by the conveniences of the city. They didn't have many of the things in the desert that they were finding in the city. The first time in the city. And they were absolutely astounded at many of the things they were seeing. But the one thing that absolutely amazed them was the water faucets in their motels. Being in, living in the desert, they knew the scarcity of water, and they appreciated the value of water. But they were amazed that all they had to do was turn a handle, and there was all the water they could ever want. There was water to drink, drink all they want to, and that water just kept coming. Bathe in it. Whatever they wanted, all they had to do was turn a handle, and there was more water there than they'd ever seen, and water in a constant supply. When they were checking out the motel, Lawrence of Arabia found them trying to detach the faucets. And they had the idea that they could carry these magic faucets to the desert and have an endless supply of water. Well, I want you to understand something tonight. If you have been saved, you have an endless supply of strength. You have an endless supply of power. You have an endless supply of blessings. It is all found in Christ Jesus. And it's yours in Christ and it's yours to enjoy. It is yours to experience. It is a promise that God has given to us that all of this is ours. It was a goal of the Christian life, and it was the gift of the Christian life. But look at something else about the text. You not only see a promise to accept, but you also see a possession to appropriate. Now, this was a land that was given to them by God. It was his gift to them. Hundreds of years before, he told them he was going to give the land. He reaffirmed that promise time and time and time again. It was the land that God said is yours, I give unto you. But yet, they had to possess what had been given to them. Or if I can put it this way, they had to appropriate what had been given. There was not only a promise to accept, but there was a possession to appropriate. Now, why is it that many believers are living far beneath their privileges? Why is it that many believers are never enjoying all they have in Christ? I'll tell you simply this. It's because you've never began to appropriate what is yours. 
You've never began to accept what is yours. Webster defines the word appropriate, taking exclusive possession of. Well, how do you take possession of what is yours? God's goal for you is to live in Canaan. God's goal for you is to live a life of victory. God's goal for you is to live a life of fullness. God's goal for me and you is to live a life of blessing. Well, how do we live a life of blessing? How do we appropriate what is ours in Christ? I suggest to you two things in our text. You notice in verse 2 that first of all, there's a Jordan cross. If you are going to enjoy Canaan, then you've got to cross Jordan to get to Canaan. Verse 2 said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. He's talking about the Jordan River. Now, as I said a moment ago, we often talk about Jordan River as being a type of death. And we talk about it being a death, when a physical death, when a believer dies and Canaan being to heaven. Well, it is not a type of physical death, but it is a type of death. Jordan is a type of spiritual death. You see, the Jordan was the dividing line behind the life behind them. Again, I mentioned a moment ago, you can divide the history of Israel into three stages. One, when they were in Egypt, which would relate to the natural man of the New Testament, the unsaved man. But yet they were brought out of Egypt, we were saved, but then they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, which would relate to the carnal man, as the New Testament would call it. But then moving into Canaan would relate to the spiritual man. And the spiritual man is not the one who walks around milking his chin as if he has a grip on something nobody else does. A spiritual man is simply one who lives by the Spirit. That's why the idea behind the word. Someone living in victory, someone walking in what is their right and privilege as a child of God. Well, when you came to the Jordan, when the children of Israel came to the Jordan, and we are dying to the past life, we are now entered into a death and coming out on the other side to live in resurrection life or to live in a life of blessing. In other words, Jordan is a type of spiritual death. I used to do night. You want to walk in victory? Do you want to be where God can bless your life? Do you want to enjoy the fullness of God? Then I'll tell you, first of all, there has got to be a Jordan experience in your life. You will never know Canaan until you go through Jordan. You will never know the victory of the Canaan life until, first of all, you go through Jordan. And by that, I simply mean somewhere there will be a death to self in your life. I think about a story I read one time about Enrico Caruso, the Italian tenor. And he was considered to be one, someone that had one of the most brilliant voices in the history of music. Said he mastered over 67 operatic roles, and his repertoire included more than 500 numbers. But early in his career, a stagehand overheard him standing in the wings just before he was going to stage. And the stagehand overheard him saying to himself, Get out of my way, you little me. I'm a big me, and I need room to get out on that stage. And now that may have been Caruso's way of building up courage to face his audience. But I'm going to be right honest with you. My biggest problem is the big me. And your biggest problem is the big me. You don't know why we don't get into Canaan. It's the big me. You don't know why we don't enjoy what God has given us in Christ. It's the big me. The big me, it is me, what I want to do, my plans, my goals, my ambitions, my pursuits, my goals in life. But I want to tell you something. You will never walk in the Canaan land until, first of all, you go through a Jordan. Somewhere there will be a death to self. Someone asked George Mueller one time, what is the secret of your life and your service? And Mueller said there was a day when George Mueller died. Died to George Mueller, his opinions, his preferences, his taste and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame of even of my brethren or friends. Died. I'm talking about living in victory. I'm talking about living in the land of Canaan. Living in the land of Canaan now. Not heaven, but now. Enjoying heaven along the way. Living a life of blessing. It starts by crossing Jordan. 
It starts by coming to the end of ourselves and saying, Dear God, it is no longer what I want. It is no longer my goals. It is no longer my plans. Not my will, but thy will be done. Could that be maybe the reason many believers never get into Canaan? Could that be the reason many believers never know a life of victory? Could that be the reason many believers never know a life of fullness? Could that be the reason many believers never know a life of blessing? Because they don't want to cross Jordan. My own nature doesn't want to die. My own human nature wants to be Lord of my life. But there has got to be a Jordan if there's ever going to be a life in Canaan. Are you with me now? Say amen. But not only is there a Jordan to cross, but second of all, there is a Canaan to claim. Look at verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down the sun shall be your coast. Now, God tells him what land he's given. He even gives the boundaries of the land he's given him. It was a land that extended from the wilderness on the south to the Lebanon mountain range on the north, from the Euphrates River on the east to the Mediterranean Sea on the west. God said, all of this is yours. But there was one stipulation to it. He said, I give it to you. It was my goal to get you here. It's my gift to you. It is what I wanted you to enjoy. It is what I wanted you to experience. It is yours. I give it to you. But you got to take it. But you notice what he said in verse 3? Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon. He said it's yours, but it's yours for the taking. It is yours for the claiming. It is yours for the appropriating. I listen to it tonight. Have you ever, you ever wonder why is it that some Christians seem to just go further with God than others do? It just seems like some, they seem to understand God in an altogether different light than I do. Or they seem to have something in their life that I really don't have in my life. A lot of times you people get blessed or we look at someone and we say, boy, I wish I could really get blessed like they do. I wish I could feel like him or feel like her or I could have this in my life or I could just know the Lord like they know. I want to say to you tonight, you can. You want know the difference is? It's a matter who's taken what. It's a matter of how much of yours that has been given to you in Christ that you're taking in your life. I want you to understand, son, it's not a matter of one person being better than another. It's just a matter of who wants to take what God's given them. Listen to me tonight. Canaan is yours. All the blessings, spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, they've been given to you in Christ. They're yours. God's goal is to bring you into a life of fullness. God's goal is to bring you into life of victory. He's given you all this in Christ, and all you've got to do is take it as yours. Make it yours and enjoy it in your life. I want to tell you something. There's not a person in this room tonight, I don't care who you are, can't have what somebody else has got because you've actually already got it. It's just a matter of taking what you've got. Are you understanding me tonight? God brought you into Canaan. That's his gift and it's yours for the taking. Listen to me. If you're going to live in Canaan, there's a Canaan to claim. It's just, there it is. And you begin to take it in your life. You begin to enjoy it in your life. You begin to experience it in your life. There is a possession to appropriate. But a third and a final thing from the text. Not only do you see a promise to accept, I give you the land. My goal for you is the land that I have given to you. That's, your pro that's my promise to you, God said. It's yours to accept. But there's the land that he given. He said, now you've got to take it. What becomes yours is what you take. Wherever you claim, whatever, this, whatever part you march into and set your foot down and drive a stake down and say, this belongs to us, this belongs to us, how far you want to go, he said, that's what becomes yours. It's all yours from here to there, from there to here. It's all yours, but it's up for you to take. The third thing I see in the, thing, the story here is a peril to avoid. Look in verse 1 again. You have a special moment in Israel's history. They've been brought out of Egypt. 
For 40 years they had wandered in the wilderness. Now the moment has arrived for them to go into Canaan. But you find a moment here with a tragic history behind them and a sad history that is before them. You find the story. Look here, first of all, in verse 1. The peril to avoid is a past people. You see, a past people that never got in the land. Look at verse 1 again. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, minister, saying. Now, you take Joshua. He's a great fellow. His name means he shall say. In fact, it's the same name in the New Testament that is translated Jesus. He shall save a Savior from sin. Joshua was born in Egypt during their captivity in Egypt. He was in the tribe of Ephraim. Joshua had served as Moses' general, had served as Moses' servant. He was with Moses on the mountain when Moses received the law. He was one of the, ten, one of the 12 spies that went into the land to spy out the land. Josephus says that Joshua was somewhere for around 40 years old when they left Egypt. So that would put Joshua somewhere around 80 years old. He's a great leader. Politically, he was a great leader. Militarily, he was a great leader. Spiritually, he was a great leader. But Joshua now assumes the role of leadership. But as he does so, it is a reminder of the many, many, many that never got to go in the land of Canaan. In fact, on Passover night, it is estimated between two and a half and three million Jews left Egypt. But now when you come to Joshua chapter 1, there's only two adults that left Egypt on that night that gets to go in the Canaan land. Only two adults got to enjoy what God gave them hundreds of years before. Over 3,000 left going to Canaan, but only two adults actually got to get into Canaan. You know the story. You know the story well in the book of Numbers. Twelve spies went out to spy out the land. They came back. It was like an average Baptist church. The majority of them said, oh, no, we can't do it. But there was Joshua and Caleb, and they said, yes, we can. God's given us the land. He told us it was ours. And But the ten said, no, we don't think we can. And the result was the majority of the people there, they agreed with the ten. You read it in Numbers chapter 14 where God said to them that everybody above the age of 20 would die in the wilderness because of their unbelief, and they would never get to enter the land. And so now the moment comes... And only two adults out of millions now actually get to get in the land of Canaan. Millions missed out on what was theirs because of their indifference, their apathy, and their unbelief. Can I be honest tonight without being negative? Do you realize, and I think you'd agree with me, that the majority of believers will live their Christian lives somewhere between Egypt and Canaan. Am I not right? It's not a matter of the issues. It's not, it's not, the issue is not have you been brought out of Egypt. You have experienced the saving power of Christ in your life. But yet you have never got into the fullness of Christ in your life. You're living an ordinary wilderness, warning, wandering life. You're right in the middle there. You've never got over here where God is blessing your life. You've never got over there where you're living in blessing and living in fullness and living in victory as God's intention for your life was. God has given you so much, but yet you're living in the wilderness. You're like the majority. I would say the majority in this church as well as any church you go into. I'm not just picking on this church, but any church you go into, anywhere, any generation, any age, any place, any town, any church, and what is so tragic is everybody in those churches has the same. God has given them the same. But the majority will go through life and never live a Canaan life. I want you to understand something. What a tragedy to miss out on what is yours, to miss out on everything God has given you. There was the peril to avoid. A people that never got in the land. Moody described it going to heaven second class when you got a first-class ticket. 
Why go to heaven second class or third class, business economy class anymore? And that door that is, that's right back there, two doors from the tail end of the plane. Can I get an amen there? And why go to heaven that way when you got a first class ticket? God's given you so much, but the past people that never got in the land. What a peril to avoid. But there's something else I find, not only past history, but future history. For there was a present people that never got all the land. You find him in Joshua 1, entering the land. And to very begin the book, God says, this is yours. From here to here and from there to here, this is all yours. And what you find in the book of Joshua, you find them fighting, Jericho, all the battles are being, what are they doing? They're taking their land. They're conquering their land. They're going through there with the name of God and the promises of God, and they're taking what God's given to them. They're claiming their possessions and possessing their possessions. In fact, it's Graham Scroggett that gives the outline like this, entering the land, conquering the land, and possessing. That's what you find in all the battles. They're going there taking what God has given them. And you find that they possessed much land. But here's the tragedy. They didn't take all God gave them. You come to the end of Joshua and you find out what they possessed and you'll find that it was far short than what God gave them. He tells them in chapter 1, verse 4, what he's given them. And when Joshua was dying there, he, they haven't taken all that God has given them. In fact, you don't find anywhere in Israel's history that they've ever, ever took all that God gave them. Even under David and Solomon, when the land was at its greatest extent, they didn't take all that God had given One day they will. I hate to tell the politicians there, they fighting over this little piece of ground and whatever. I want to say to them sometimes, listen, Israel hadn't got all they're going to take yet. Mark that down. But they didn't take all that they... They got in. There was multitudes that never got in. But here is a crowd. Everybody that was 20 and under got to go in. They were babies. Now they're young men, and they're going in to Canaan with Joshua and Caleb, those that are marching in. They got in, but they never took all that they could have taken. Now listen to me. Here's the peril to avoid. Many of you will live your life and never live in Canaan. Many of you are saved. You've been brought out of Egypt. But you'll live your life in a spiritual wilderness when God wants you to live in Canaan. And here's the second peril, and that is many of you have began to live a life of fullness, and you began to enjoy what is yours, and you are partaking of what, you, what is yours, and you're learning what is yours in Christ, and you're appropriating that and making that yours. But the danger is that you would let indifference and apathy keep you from getting everything you have in Christ. I think about something Jack Reese said one day in the Bible conference. He's talking about people getting up and saying, I can't take anymore. If I got anymore, I wouldn't be able to stand it. I love what his answer is. He said, I can take it and I can stand it. Well, I want you to know today, tonight, I want all God's got for me. I don't want to just scratch the surface of what he's given. It's mine. It is mine in Christ. I, it is my spiritual birthright to enjoy all that he's given me. Why go through life and never make what is yours, yours in your life? That's a peril to avoid. Get it all. You ought to be like old Uncle Buddy Robbins. I love Uncle Buddy. And I love his little prayers. And I found one prayer he prayed one time. He said, my prayer is now. That the Lord will turn a hog shed of honey over in your soul and let it ooze out between your ribs. Well, I don't know about you, but I, that's what I want. I want. It's a lamb flow with milk and honey. And I want to get in there where God turns a hog shed of honey over in my soul that it oozes out between my ribs. I'm talking about living in a life of blessing and living in a life of fullness. That's what God's got for your life. Now, where are you at tonight in your Christian life? Let's stand to our feet, please. Living in Canaan now. Not living in Canaan in the future, heaven, but living in Canaan now. Are you living in Canaan? Where are you at in your Christian life? It may be there's somebody here tonight. You're over here in this Egyptian chapter. You've never been saved. You're in bondage. It may be that tonight what you need to do is come to Christ. 
and accept him as your Savior. But then I wonder tonight if the majority in this room wouldn't kind of be in between Egypt and Canaan. Missing out. Oh, yeah, God did good things for them in the wilderness. He supplied and met their needs. But Canaan was his goal. Canaan was his objective in their life. Not to just go through life as an average Christian, but to get over here to live in victory, overcoming, conquering in their life. That was his goal. That was his gift. A land flowing with milk and honey. Listen to me. Ephesians 1, 3, I repeat again. He hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Don't settle for anything less than what God designed for you. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We're going to sing a couple of stanzas in a moment. I don't know what your interest is in your Christian life, but my interest is to live in Canaan. My interest is that God take this church into Canaan. My interest is that we get where, we get where God makes real in our life everything he has given us in Christ Jesus. I wonder tonight if you have that same interest. We're going to sing a stanza or two in just a moment. But why don't you say tonight like you ought to say, I'm going to live in Canaan now. I'm going to live in Canaan. Won't you walk down here tonight? Won't you walk, begin tonight by going through Jordan? Dear God, I want to submit myself to you because I don't want the big me to get in the way of what you have for me. God, you have a land that flows with milk and honey for me. And I don't want to miss it because of the big me. Won't you come tonight? And just give yourself to God and say, dear God, let me live in Canaan. Let me enjoy what is mine in Christ. Teach me how to know it. Teach me how to experience it. Teach me how to make it part of my life. Will you do that tonight? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for what you've given us. May we not miss it. In Jesus' name, amen.